You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Super Tuesday didn't quite work out as President Jimmy Carter planned. Of course, in 1980, as Carter was doing battle in the Democratic primary with Senator Edward Kennedy of Massachusetts, Super Tuesday didn't represent the same thing it does today. There was no official Super Tuesday. It was simply what a few reporters, and I see evidence of it in Time Magazine and Christian Science Monitor articles from 1980, were calling the last batch of primaries on the calendar, occurring on June 3, 1980, when New Jersey, California, and Ohio had primaries. Four years earlier, when President Carter first had won the presidency in 1976, the media had referred to this last crucial primary as the Super Bowl. But that name didn't stick. Usually, these late voting states had no voice in the process. But 1976 and 1980 were different types of elections, were very close and competitive. With an economy in recession, President Carter faced not only a crisis in the country, but also among his own party. Only 30% of his own party, Democrats, wanted to renominate him. This started what is a fairly rare event in American politics, an intra-party movement against an incumbent president. Parties normally do everything they can to get a presidency and try so hard to keep it once they hold the office. But for that very reason, Democrats in 1980 were jittery. President Carter was way down to the polls. There was a recession with no end in sight, combined with inflation, Many Democratic voters, and especially Democrats in Congress, who had some tensions with President Carter anyway, felt it was time to swap horses. Those who wanted to replace Carter quickly coalesced around Edward Kennedy. A draft Kennedy movement started in many states, and throughout 1979, Kennedy was beating Carter in the polls. There were many who wanted Kennedy to run four years earlier in the 1976 rate. But because of the Chappaquiddick incident, where in 1969 Kennedy had abandoned a car with a female companion who died and had not reported the incident quickly to the police, almost ended his Senate career early, that raised some problems for Kennedy going into an aggressive primary campaign. And so Senator Kennedy stayed out of the 76 campaign, hoping, hoping that rivals would bloody each other up enough, and he could come in at the end and be the nominee. That didn't happen. Jimmy Carter quickly built momentum in the primaries and won enough states 
and enough delegates to win. Now it appeared he might have a second chance to take the presidency away from Carter, as seems to be the case with all of the Kennedy brothers. There's a mixture of personal ambition with the prodding and ambition of others. In the end, he did leap into the presidential race on Labor Day 1979. He would challenge the incumbent president, Jimmy Carter, for the Democratic nomination. It was downhill from there. An especially bad interview with Roger Mudd, a CBS reporter, in which Kennedy was incoherent about a simple question, why he wanted to be president. And he couldn't handle questions about the Chappaquiddick matter. Kennedy's interview was airing the same time that broadcast television was airing the movie Jaws for the first time since it had been in the box office, leading Senator Bob Dole to joke at the time that most viewers flicking between the Roger Mudd interview of Ted Kennedy and the movie Jaws couldn't tell the difference. Yet Kennedy's fumbling was not the only problem. In November of 1979, American employees at the U.S. Embassy were seized in Iran, and initially, Americans rallied around the president. Carter went up in the polls. He also went on the offensive. He attacked Kennedy subtly on the issue of his family values by showing images of Carter around the family table with Amy and Rosalind. Without saying it, Iowans got the message. Carter won Iowa and New Hampshire, and Carter would be further helped by a front-loading of the primers, three southern states, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Georgia, decided to move their primaries up the calendar specifically to help the incumbent president who was a native of the Deep South. And Kennedy and Carter battled around the country. Kennedy carried his home state of Massachusetts, but lost Vermont to Carter. Carter carried Illinois and his home southern states. But after a U.N. resolution condemned Israel, and the U.S. didn't seem to do enough to stop it, Kennedy captured New York and its delegates. But on June 3rd, by winning Ohio, President Carter had captured enough delegates to get the nomination on the first ballot. So Super Tuesday, June 3rd, 1980, was supposed to be the time that Carter would put the race behind him and Kennedy would concede the election. But Kennedy on that day also won, winning the bigger prizes of New Jersey and California. So while Carter got more delegates at this point, Kennedy got some momentum off this day. When Carter attempted to telephone Kennedy to congratulate him on the victories in New Jersey and California, he was told the senator was busy. It was an embarrassing intra-party battle for an incumbent president. Carter dispatched his vice president, Walter Mondale, to handle relations with the Kennedy camp. Tip O'Neill, the Speaker of the House and a Kennedy supporter, tried to convince Kennedy to get out. But the Kennedy name is no small thing. Keep in mind that no Kennedy prior to this point had lost an election. And once he had put his name on the line, it was difficult to give up. Kennedy and Carter did meet at the White House after Super Tuesday. Kennedy told him that he was still contesting the nomination. He would try to persuade delegates now. At the Democratic Convention in New York, Kennedy delegates tried to open the convention. It failed, and Carter won on the first ballot. Kennedy made a speech that went well to the left of Carter's policies and mentioned Carter only briefly at the end of the speech. In platform battles, he forced the party to accept wage and price controls that Carter did not want. And then in the final moment, as Carter took the podium accepting his renomination of the Democratic Party, along with Vice President Mondale, there was an awkward wait. 
all filmed by TV cameras from all the major broadcast networks. After an aggravating period of time, Ted Kennedy made his way up to the podium, shook Carter's hand, and patted him on the back. Nice gestures. But in this situation, this TV moment, certainly more was called for. Normally, the loser of the election will grab the winner's hand and raise it in the air in a show of confidence and anticipation of victory. Kennedy's little gesture telegraphed a lot. If that's what they call unity, the Republican nominee Reagan said, they're in trouble. Four years later, Super Tuesday would in an odd way benefit Carter's vice president, even though it represented losses for him. Walter Mondale vied for the nomination in 1984 with the support of most labor and interest groups. He ran into early trouble, though, and barely won Iowa, and then lost New Hampshire to Senator Gary Hart of Colorado. Shocking, because Gary Hart came from nowhere, and a month earlier was 3% in the polls in New Hampshire. Mondale's campaign was obliterated. They cut staff from 400 to 135. And after a further loss in the main primary, all seemed lost. The party this year had planned three Super Tuesdays, each of which would allow large contingents of states to vote. On Super Tuesday 1, Washington, Florida, Massachusetts, Alabama, and Georgia would vote all at once. And Hart was up in the polls in every state. Many of the campaign managers of the Mondale campaign, not wanting to get into further debt, wanted to await the first Super Tuesday and then quit. A system that appeared designed to give momentum to a frontrunner was working in this case against Mondale. But then something surprising and not surprising happened. The not surprising event was that Mondale lost most of the states to heart on Super Tuesday 1. The surprising thing was that he won Alabama and Georgia. And the further surprising thing is that for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. The media reported these wins more than the majority of losses. This kept Mondale alive, and by the third Super Tuesday, Gary Hart had conceded the race to Mondale. A race that Walter Mondale would lose in the general election in 49 states. 
And Mondale's devastating loss gave Democrats, especially moderate and Southern Democrats, great concern. So on September 8, 1985, a group of present and past Democratic state representatives from the South, the Southern Legislative Conference, met in Miami to formulate strategies to strengthen the Southern voice in the 1988 primaries. The result was a single Super Tuesday. One day, March 8, 1988, in which primaries would be held simultaneously in 14 southern states, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia, allotting almost one-third of the national delegates in one fell swoop. They thought that the primaries would give an important edge to the South's candidate, ideally a person who was a native Southerner. In Washington, a group of moderate Southerners forming a political action committee tried to settle around a candidate. They liked Georgia Senator Sam Nunn, who was moderate and had very good foreign policy credentials. And they liked Virginia Senator Chuck Robb, but neither had decided to run. They agreed on the son of a former Tennessee senator, Al Gore Jr. His work on the Senate on arms control made him a good candidate for the presidency. He was a good speaker and an excellent candidate. But the result was the opposite of what the Southerners had attended. Jesse Jackson and Al Gore split the South. Jackson won states that had heavy black voters populations. Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina. Gore won the border states. His home state of Tennessee, Arkansas, and then Virginia and North Carolina. Richard Geppert took his home state of Missouri. The big winner in this plan to increase the South's influence was a man from Massachusetts, Governor Mike Dukakis. By winning just Florida and Texas on Super Tuesday and the other rivals splitting the rest of the states, Dukakis established that he was, could win in more than just the northern states. And he became the nominee. Many papers were calling Super Tuesday a super mistake. It was not until 1992 that Super Tuesday would work to help Bill Clinton win the White House. But even this is difficult to attribute fully to Super Tuesday, because Clinton's opponents were Paul Songus and Jerry Brown. And neither had much of an organization or much of a chance. There was a little bit of a surge at the end for Jerry Brown. Front-loading primaries, that is, moving primaries up on the calendar and mega-loading primaries that is creating these large, one-time primaries, is somewhat new. And it has to do with two factors, national and state. National entities, specific campaigns, have interests that they think might be helped by reworking the system. And then states, states are really the key players. They have an interest in being heard in the nominating process. When primaries were first brought to a meaningful level in American politics, and that would be in the 1912 election, it was because Theodore Roosevelt, who had been president for eight years, had friends in all of the state legislatures, New York, New Jersey, numerous western states. They created new primaries in Illinois, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Ohio, and South Dakota to help him retake the presidency of Ta- from Taft. Roosevelt would win the majority of the primaries, but Taft would still get more delegates because most delegates still were not chosen by the primary system in 1912. The decisions of when to hold primaries rest with state legislatures. 
the national parties can only punish states by not allowing their delegates to count, as in the case of Michigan and Florida this year. The Democratic Party's mandate this year was February 5th in order to make Iowa and New Hampshire to keep their places being most meaningful, and they enforced it. From there on out, it's state decisions on an individual level to move up their primaries to the date that they did this year. California, New Jersey, states that always voted in June, back when it was called Super Tuesday or Super Bowl, now vote February. Following states changed their elections to February 5th. Alaska, Arizona, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Georgia, Idaho on the Democratic side, Illinois, Kansas on the Democratic side, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Montana, New Jersey, New York, and Tennessee. Thus we have, as CNN calls it, Super Duper Tuesday or Tsunami Tuesday, whatever one wishes to call it now. 24 states total scheduled to hold caucuses or primary elections for one or both parties in the state. By contrast, eight years earlier in 2000, only 2% of states have voted. So we certainly have a front-loading trend. And it'll take some time to see the effects of front-loading. In 2004, the front-loading on the calendar certainly helped John Kerry win the nomination. After Howard Dean and John Edwards lost early primaries, it was impossible to catch up to his momentum. But it may have had a negative effect in giving him so much time sitting out there that Republicans could quickly develop a campaign against him. So this is certainly one effect that we can anticipate in 2008. Instead of having a nominee in June, you may have one in May or April, or even March. And if one party chooses a nominee and the other doesn't, you're going to see the candidates of the other party who might still be fractured in their race have one nominee on the Democratic side or Republican side to unify their attacks on. We could also see something that doesn't often happen because of the primary calendar, that if the Democrats, for instance, choose their nominee after February 5th, effectively, and the Republicans are fractured in the future contests, who that Democratic nominee is may affect who the Republican nominee is. Usually, The primaries are too close on the calendar for the primaries of one party to have much impact on the primaries of the other. For instance, in the last election where there were primaries contested actively on both sides, 1988, Republican voters were not choosing George Bush over Bob Dole, say, in order to run against Dukakis. They were not choosing Dukakis to run over that because he would run better against Bush. Despite the appeal of the idea of Super Duper Tuesday... And despite the front-loading and mega-loading of the calendar that makes this day seem crucial, I do want to introduce a possibility. If February 5th produces split results with no clear winner, that could be a possibility in both parties. More of a possibility on the Republican side. For instance, if one candidate, say Hillary Clinton, takes a majority, but Barack Obama and perhaps John Edwards take a few states, enough states to at least claim some momentum. You know, we go into February 6th without a clear winner. The totally unanticipated effect of this front-loading and mega-loading of Super Duper Tuesday may be giving more power to the very few states now that come after. After you've got Kansas on the Republican side, you've got Nebraska, Louisiana, and Washington State coming on February 9th. Uh, You've got Maryland, Virginia, D.C. on February 12th. You've got Hawaii and Wisconsin on February 19th. You've got Ohio, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Texas 
on March 4th. Wyoming on the Democratic side and Mississippi in March and Pennsylvania in April. If February 5th is indecisive, these post-super-duper Tuesday states may become more important. But one truth we've seen as we look through history, and it is a limited history of this, these kind of mechanisms of the primaries, is that attempts to game the primaries often have unintended effects. And that's something so far that has been shown already. The attempt to front-load primaries and mass them on one day have really made the early states, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and now South Carolina, so much more important. Split wins in these states. You have Barack Obama now winning South Carolina and winning Iowa, but losing New Hampshire and Nevada. And on the Republican side, there's splits between Romney winning Michigan, McCain winning South Carolina, New Hampshire. It remains to be seen if, Feb- if February 5th will be the decision maker that it seemed like months ago. With history beating up politics, I'm Bruce Carlson. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story. It's unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.